0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're in Psalm 69. This is a psalm of King David. It's a psalm written for the choir director. Now, there's only three of these style of psalms that we have in the scriptures. Psalm 45, Psalm 69, and Psalm 80 all have this as a characteristic. Now, in the Hebrew, this is pronounced Soshaim. shayim so is the whole category of any kind of lily. Any of the lilies of the field, the different colors, they're all in the lily family. Now you say, what's that got to do? You know how the florists today, they tell you, oh, if you give the yellow flower, that means friendship. If you give the red rose, that's for love. And they try to give significance to different type of flower that you give. In Hebrew, if you were to give lilies, lilies represented the joy of spring. We use them in our culture for Resurrection Sunday. A lot of times the church altars will be adorned with lilies, meaning the joy of life coming up. So when this little thing, Soshain, shows up at the beginning, it's saying this is a psalm that is about life and joy, exalt, like jumping for joy. It's the best way I can say. Now you're gonna crack up when you hear some of the words in the first stanzas. It's not till the end of the song where the joyful part comes, because it says sometimes we have rough times, but God takes our rough times and He takes our sorrow and it says He turns it into laughter, into joy. And so this is a song like that. Starts off with some sad tears and some hard things that David's going through. He's going to pour out his heart in this psalm in the beginning. You'll see. By the way, it's not bad to remember that we can go from having rough times to the end of the song where he has great rejoicing. Because sometimes we need that to lift our spirit. Sometimes the only thing that will lift our spirit when we're in rough times is praising God. So let me show you this psalm tonight. Psalm 69 starts off the word saying, Save me, O God, from waters that have threatened my life, for I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. Then I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched and my eyes fail while I wait for God. You have to be going through some pretty bad times to be crying this much sometimes people don't realize this. God was going to use this young man, David, to make him king of Israel. And he wanted to work a work in him and he wouldn't have it so easy. Let me read you just a couple more verses what he says. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head and those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, he says, I have to then restore. Oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach, and dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Even my own brothers don't like me. You might remember this story when David was a young boy His job was to take care of the family sheep. He was a shepherd boy, and he would be out in the field. It says that that's where a lot of times he made up his songs that he sang. Finally, his father calls him, and three of his older brothers have gone to follow the king to war. And so dad is worried about his son. So he calls for David, and he says, son, get some food, some provision, and take it. And give some to the commander. That's like the mark of respect. Give the commander a little gift from me. And then take the rest to your brothers and see how they're faring. The father must have entrusted this young boy enough to send him to the battle line to go check on his brothers. But when he got there, his brothers go, what you've come here for? To cause us trouble, little brother? You're just a nosy little bother. They didn't even like their own brother. And he's like, well, "What's going on, guys? What's happening?" And they, "Oh, shut up, you little run." You know how brothers can pick on each other, especially the littlest one. He was getting heat from his own brothers. Well, what's the big deal? And remember, Goliath was coming out each day, and he was standing and he was taunting the whole army of Israel, he saying, "Why should you all die? Why don't you send out your best warrior to come fight me, and whoever wins?" Instead of everyone having to die that day, only one man will have to die. It's either me from my army or one of your guys from your army. And whoever wins, the other army has to surrender. That way not everyone has to die today. It sounds like a pretty good idea, right? Remember Goliath, he was a giant of a man. And so here he is going, come on, bring him on. Now, David's like, well, why doesn't somebody go fight for Israel? Because every day he taunted and then he went back. Because no one accepted his challenge. And David said, well, he's taunting the God of Israel. I'll fight him. And now his brothers, oh, you little rat. You're going to put us to shame, you know, because these are the older brothers who one of them should have stepped up way before the littlest brother steps up. But see here in the psalm, David says, I have become estranged from my brothers, and alien to my mother's son. Now, to say, I'm considered a foreigner. In my own house. Is that saying you're getting along well with your brothers? No. That's saying they have disowned me. Not only disowned me. They treat me like I am from another planet. There's some rejection. That he's experienced. There's some hurt. He knows the pain. He's giving us his insight. How it feels inside. When you go through that rejection. From your own family. Now this psalm comes out of these experiences, what he went through. In verse nine, for zeal, he says, for thy house has consumed me, and reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. Now, this is a really interesting one because this is actually quoted in context in John chapter seven, when Jesus talks about his own brothers being estranged to him, the end of verse eight and into verse nine, Did Jesus' own brothers believe in him? No. Like, well, if you're really the son of God, why don't you just go down to the festival and reveal yourself? We've heard the stories all our lives. Mom keeps saying, you're God's son, and we're just Joseph's son. So why don't you go down there and show yourself? And they rejected him. David had rejection. But some of the things that David experiences will be mirrored by what the Lord will experience. Jesus will go through the similar thing. And Jesus will actually quote some of the very verses in this psalm when we get to the New Testament. In fact, there's a part of this psalm. Well, it's coming up. Let me just read a couple more verses. There's a part of this psalm when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Remember, he's like, Father, there's any way that we could skip this. Let this cup pass for me. This psalm has part of the prayer. It's believed that Christ prayed in the garden. This is what the Jews teach in their writings, that when he went to the garden, this is the psalm that is referred to in his prayer time. Did Jesus have zeal for God's house? Did the reproaches of those that reproached him fall on the Messiah? Sure. David says, I had people reproach me. It fell on me. I didn't like it. When people come up and they accuse you of stuff and try to make you the point of the blame, David knew what that felt like. But so did Christ. Christ they pinned all of the blame of our sins on him. So he knew what it felt like. In verse 10 it says, And when I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I was nothing. You put on that scratchy, itchy cloth that's not friendly to the skin. It was saying, I'm not going to be comfortable in the pleasures of soft clothes and nice things. I'm going to be humble. The poor were the ones that generally would wind up with the sackcloth for their clothing. He says, but I put on the sackcloth, and I became a byword to them. When did David put on humble clothes? Remember when they were making the processional to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city, and David danced before the Ark, and he took off his kingly robes, and he only wore the what we call the underwear, the undergarment, with all his might before the Lord. His wife was in disdain. Why are you dressing like that? You're the king. You should wear your kingly clothes. And he says, I came naked into this world. Naked I shall go out. Can we impress God with our attire? Dress up and all of a sudden God goes, wow, I'm impressed. You got some really fancy duds on there. The Bible says God looks at the heart, not at the outwards, at the inward. And David says, even when I was humble to them, I became a byword. I was nothing. Those that sit in the gate, they talk about me, and I'm the songs of drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O oh God, at the acceptable time. O oh God, in greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Now, remember, this is supposed to be a joyful song. This is the Lily song. This is All Right, New Life. But so far, started off with some pretty bad rejection. Have you ever heard a good composition where they start off with, Heaviness, and then they bring the composition of the music to that really life, cheerful. Because there's some songs we listen to on the radio, they start off with the heavy part, but then they have that little swing in the middle and they go to that joyous. That I have a feeling this is how this song is sung. The first part has got the, oh, heaviness of the heart. But don't worry, we haven't finished. Let me read you some more. It says, Verse 13, as for me, he says, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. I pray to you, Lord, and you are the God in the greatness of your loving kindness. Your mercy is another translation. He says, answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes, from the deep waters. May the flood of the water not overflow me. Remember at the beginning, How he said the waters were overflowing him. They were coming to drown him. He says, May the deep not swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. And according to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Now, is that something we can cry out to God when we're in trouble? God help, I'm in trouble. Answer quick, I'm in distress. He says, oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. Lord, ransom me, get me out of this trouble. For you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. This is a really good thing to sing in a church song to remember how many of our enemies and adversaries are before the Lord. Does he see them? Any of them can hide. Is there any of them that God is unaware of? Could be your health issues. Maybe you're fighting cancer. You think God doesn't see that? He sees everything. Every adversary that ever comes against you, he sees it. The song is swinging now. It's swinging to the God. You're the God of great compassion. And you know. You know every one of my adversaries. And reproach, verse 20, has broken my heart. I am so sick and I looked for sympathy, but there was none and for comforters, and I found none, and they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Does anyone recognize that verse anywhere else in the Bible? Matthew 27, verses 34 to 48, when Jesus was on the cross and they gave him the sponge dipped in the gall and the vinegar and they brought it to his lips to drink. You know, when I talk about David having this gift of God's Spirit to make these songs, he was gifted not just to sing. He has such a great way of putting things into words, to master at putting the matters of the heart into pen and put it on paper. Some people, they can feel it, but they can't express it. He had a gift to express it in a way that could make it where we could, huh? Oh, I know how that feels, or I can hear what you're saying there, buddy. And That's a real gift. But he also had a gift of God's Spirit to see things, Prophetically, that would come. And this is one of the gifts what God gave of His Spirit. Now, it's funny because the Bible teaches us God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the scriptures, He's introduced in Revelation as the Alpha and Omega. In Greek, that means Alpha is the beginning and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. Or in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Tov. The first letter of Hebrew, Aleph, Tov is the last letter. The beginning and the end. That's how God is described. He's outside of our time. I mean, when you're called the eternal God, you live forever, how hard is it for God to know what will happen five years from now, or ten years, or for him to look back in time? Can he look back five years, ten years? it's nothing to him. This is why having the Spirit of God in our lives gives us such great comfort, because his Spirit can guide us in things, can make us calm down when we start stressing. Don't worry, I know what's going to happen. And he even reveals through the prophets some of the things what will happen. He says, "Now I'm going to tell you in Ezekiel." All this line repeats a lot of times. I will tell you what will happen before it happens, so that when it happens, you will know that I am the Lord. Just to help your faith, because sometimes we need a boost for our faith. So I'll tell you what will happen. To help your fate so when it happens you don't go oh. you go oh god already said that they say that time is different depending on where you are if you were on the planet mars right now circling around the sun versus where we are on the earth it takes us 365 and a quarter days to go around the sun but if you go to mars if you're a martian one of their years because it takes longer to go around and it's also denser, so we'd weigh like 80 times more than we weigh here just because of the density of Mars, The gravity would be pulling us down. We'd be stuck. But they say that the amount of time varies by where you are. If you go way out in the solar system, you're going around, it might take so much longer to get around one revolution around the sun. That would just be one year to those guys. Whereas we're in the inner part going around and around and around. We could have gone around maybe 50 times in the time they went around once. So one of their years would be 50 of ours. Well, if you're the Lord and you're outside of that, he says just one of my days is a thousand of your years. And a thousand of your years is like one of my days. So just let me tell you what's happening a day from now. They're going to give my son some gall and vinegar on a stick. And it's going to be prophesied here for you. Now, is that hard for God to show that to David, this man who was in tune with God's Spirit to know this? No, no trouble at all. He just says, here, this is what happened. And now, verse 22 to verse 28 is a paragraph in Hebrew. And this paragraph is, in the Jewish culture, they actually say this is the paragraph, it's David's reaction. He got a glimpse of seeing the Messiah being crucified. And they say this next paragraph is his reaction to that. Like, how would you feel if God gave you a glimpse of, I'm going to send my son to die for the sins and he's going to suffer? Because, see, remember, this whole song so far is David crying about how he's suffering. I find it interesting. David's crying, Where, well, where, well, I'm suffering, I'm suffering. God goes, You think you're suffering? Let me show you what they're going to do to my son. Just one little glimpse of him there being beaten. Remember, they don't give him that little sponge till right near the end of the whole crucifixion. You guys seen it on the movie, right? When they got Christ up on the cross. That sponge scene is near the end when they put the sponge to his lip. So David's going, well, well, I'm so rejected by my brothers and my family and I feel like the floods are coming against me and it's such a hard day. And then the Lord says, you think that's bad? Let me show you what they're going to do to my son. Just one little glimpse. Can you see the Lord just like, One little vision of Christ on the cross. After David gets a glimpse of Christ on the cross, just a glimpse, the paragraph changes. This is a new paragraph in Hebrew. Verse 22 starts. It says, and all of a sudden, David's tone changes. He says, may their table before them become a snare. And when they are in peace, may it become a trap. And may their eyes grow dim so they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them, and may your burning anger overtake them. How dare they do that to your son? And may their camp be desolate, and may none of them dwell in their tents, for they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten. And they tell of the pain of those whom you would have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. Boy, David, when he saw what they did, he must have gotten a glimpse of the beating that Christ took. And he went, God, get them. They're terrible, those people. Now, it's funny because Jesus hung on the cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And by the way, sometimes when people offend you, One of the best things to remember is the words of Jesus. When Jesus said that, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They might not even know they offended you, but you're still stuck with the hurt. And the only way I know to let it go is to think of what Jesus said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, sometimes they offend you and they don't even know it. So you you might talk to them later and find that out. They'll be like, I didn't even know. Sorry. Or, oh, wow. Really? Really? They're really clueless that they hurt your feelings. And you're like, but it really hurt. You backed up on my toe and you stepped on me. I didn't even know. How many times have we done silly things like that? We weren't aware that we hurt the person, but the person who got hurt feels it. And all we got to do is remember, Lord, forgive them. They didn't even know that they did. I believe that the glimpse he got to see was so impactful that, wow, what they did to the Messiah, they beat him, that's horrible. Blot them out, Lord. But see, we're not done with the psalm. One more paragraph. Remember I said, this is the psalm of life. This is joy, exalting. The song is going to change. But it doesn't do it till the very last paragraph. Let me read it to you. Here's the end of the psalm. Verse 29. But I am afflicted in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. And I will praise the name of God with my song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. What did you say? I'm afflicted in pain, but may your salvation set me securely on high. When we find out what Christ did for us to save us, does that lift us? When we know he forgave us and he loves us, and we go, oh, Well, this is what Christ was doing. He's coming to save them. David is sinking in. Wait a minute. You sent that guy to save us. Remember, he felt like he was down in the floodplain. He felt like the waters were coming over him. He was going to drown. Now he's thinking, Lord, lift me up. Set me up securely on high. And I will praise the name of God with my song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Oh, it will please the Lord better than an ox, or a young bull with horns and hooves, is better than like a sacrifice of an animal to God. is better that I give praise to God and magnify his name with thanksgiving than I bring him an offering of an animal, like they used to do in the Bible times to bring the the offering. He says, and the humble have seen of it and are glad. And you who seek God, let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners let heaven and earth praise him let the seas and everything that moves in them for god will save zion and build cities of judah that they may dwell there and possess it and the descendants of his servants will inherit it and those who love his name will dwell in it here's the new life at the end let the people praise god for what he did he provided salvation now you can't need salvation if you're not in a pickle you don't need a savior to get you out of no trouble but spiritually in our sin are we in trouble yeah i mean the bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we all need a savior. so this psalm is pointing out in the low times we need to be able to cry out to the god who saves us And the good news, here's where the new life comes. Here's where the lilies come out. He says, and God, you save. And you don't just save, but you will make it to where we have a place to dwell. We get to dwell, and we get to have those inheritance, what you have for us. Now, we read the New Testament. Do we hear that in the New Testament, that Christ has a place for us? Do we have an inheritance awaiting us? Yeah. But when we're down, we forget that we kind of get our eyes on ourselves, we get self-pity, get bummed out, and then like, oh, this is really bad. The Bible says, whenever we feel like that, in the book of Hebrews, it says, consider Christ. Whenever you feel down, consider him, it says, who knew no sin, yet became sin for us. He took upon himself our sin, and they beat him. And he did it for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. What joy was there in being beaten and stripped and put on a cross? I, I don't see any joy in that. He wasn't a masochist. He was looking at what it would do in the big eternal picture. It would save us. He was looking that we would be able to come back into fellowship with his father and we'd be adopted as his children because of what he did. And because of that, we got this great joy, guys. We go, wow. Yeah, sometimes it's hard down here. This is the song that starts off with, sometimes it feels like the water is just going to overflow me. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the quicksand, in the mire. I'm going down. And we just need to get our focus off of that present situation and to the one who saves, to God who saves. When we're down, we're like, oh, God, I don't have nothing. You don't care about me. Life sucks. Everything's bad. And God goes, uh... Yeah, but I'm sending someone to save you. And I got a good plan for you. And we just need a reminder. This song is the reminder of the end. The end when God is going to save us and he's going to make a place for us. and He's got an inheritance for us. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, Come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.